Friday, July the 30th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Biden offers cash for VAX rewards and inflation singes Germany. First, the world in brief. Joe Biden urged America's states to kickstart the country's stalled vaccination drive by offering $100 each to the unjabbed to get with the program. He also said that all federal employees must show proof of inoculation or face mandatory tests. Israel, which vaccinated much earlier and more thoroughly, said it would begin offering a third dose of the Pfizer vaccine as a booster for its over 60s in an attempt to staunch the Delta strain. China's biggest COVID-19 outbreak in months, centered around Nanjing, breached 200 cases. Infections were also reported in Beijing and in far-flung provinces. Authorities, employing a typically muscular approach at containment, cut off transport links into Nanjing and ordered testing for its 9 million residents. The Delta variant seems to have slipped in via staff at the city's airport. Annual consumer price inflation in Germany hit 3.8% in July, the highest since 1993. The rate is also well above the European Central Bank's inflation target of 2% across the euro area. Germany's Federal Statistics Office attributes the increase to the end of a temporary value-added tax cut earlier this year and rising energy prices. Amazon rounded off big tech's earnings season by announcing revenue of $113 billion during the three months to June, up 27% on the same period last year. It is the third consecutive quarter that figure has topped $100 billion. Nonetheless, the company's share price dipped. Investors had hoped for even better and worried that an increase in the unlocked down world will be less reliant on its deliveries. Robinhood, a trading app used by small investors to buy and sell stocks, had a bumpy first day as a public company. Its shares, priced at the lower end of its target range, quickly fell by more than 10% before closing 8.4% down. Unusually, the company had allowed its users to buy up to a third of its shares before trading began. President Andreas Manuel López Obrador will sign a decree next week to release thousands of inmates from Mexican federal prisons by mid-September. These will include victims of torture, over 75s jailed for non-serious crimes, and those who have been incarcerated for 10 years without a sentence, among others. Human rights organizations have previously accused Mexico of using torture to obtain confessions. Theodore McCarrick, a former cardinal and archbishop of Washington, D.C., was charged with three counts of indecently assaulting a teenage boy in 1974. He is the highest-ranked Catholic official in America to be charged with sexual crimes. Mr. McCarrick was defrocked in 2019 after a trial at the Vatican found him guilty of abusing minors. And fact of the day. 107,864. The number of asylum seekers from China last year. The figure has increased by 602% since 2012. And now, here's today's agenda. Dangerous Games America's Debt Ceiling For a fleeting moment, Washington witnessed a rarity in American politics, bipartisan cooperation. The Senate voted on Wednesday to consider an infrastructure bill that will provide $550 billion in new funding for roads, broadband and more. It was a crucial procedural hurdle to clear, suggesting that the Biden administration's plan might just pass. Today, we'll bring a more familiar sight, partisan rancor. A two-year deal to suspend America's debt ceiling expires at the end of July. Without an agreement to lift the ceiling or suspend it once more, markets must again weigh the risk of a government default. 
there is no immediate danger. The Treasury will have $450 billion on hand at the end of July. It can always buy space by holding onto cash that would have otherwise been invested in retirement funds for federal employees. But Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, has warned that such, quote, extraordinary measures may be hard to calibrate because the pandemic has disrupted the government's normal cash flows. Accidents can happen. Unwelcome Surprises Chinese Missile Silos In recent weeks, researchers analysing commercial satellite imagery found a field of up to 110 missile silos being built in the eastern part of China's Xinjiang region. A month earlier, another team stumbled on a separate field of 120 silos being constructed in the desert of Gansu. The two sites represent the largest burst of silo building since the Cold War. They have sparked concerns that China's modest nuclear arsenal, estimated at 100 or so intercontinental ballistic missiles and around 200 operational warheads, will expand dramatically. Some experts think China intends to play a quote, shell game, shuffling a handful of missiles among the silos to keep other countries guessing where they are. But America's State Department is unconvinced. It says that China, quote, is deviating from decades of nuclear strategy based around minimum deterrence. Meanwhile, the Sino-American relationship becomes sourer still. Monday's meeting between members of China's foreign ministry and Wendy Sherman, America's deputy secretary of state, was fractious at best. Rebound, fast and slow. Europe's economy. The euro area's recovery from the pandemic is fast by historical standards, but slow compared with America's. Inflation and GDP data released today will provide more insight into the transatlantic gap. Strong business confidence surveys of manufacturers have raised hopes for fast growth. As elsewhere, Europe's factories and supply chains are struggling to keep up with demand. But wage growth is still soft, and inflation was only 1.9% in June, or just 0.9% when excluding volatile food and energy prices, below the European Central Bank's new 2% inflation target, and a far cry from the significant price surges happening in America. The ECB expects headline inflation to fall back to 1.5% in 2022 and 1.4% in 2023, undershooting the revised target. Many economists suspect that monetary policy has run out of ammunition. The central bank may only meet its goals if governments provide more fiscal stimulus. Unneighbourly. Disputed borders within India. Shelling between India and Pakistan routinely kills soldiers and civilians in Kashmir. Lately, Chinese and Indian troops have squared off there, as they do in the eastern Himalayas, albeit in a less deadly fashion. But now, conflict is escalating between some of India's own regions. On Monday, automatic gunfire could be heard along the dividing line between Assam and Mizoram, two northeastern states. When the smoke cleared, six Assamese policemen had been killed by uniformed members of Mizoram's finest. Most of India's states are defined by ethnicity and each has its own politics. Many boundaries are ill-defined, including at least three of Assam's. Monday's bloodshed sent politicians from both states scrambling to Delhi. Mizos say their police were defending the state against encroachers. Assam's leaders claim much the same. Astonishingly, both sides belong to the same governing coalition. At least the states have agreed to let national paramilitary forces replace their own police at their border. Footnotes Our trade editor on how poor countries get rich. 
Over the past decade, our understanding of how poor countries get rich has changed. In this week's cover story, Ryan Avend, our trade and international economics editor, wrote about the dashed hopes of growth in emerging markets countries. Ryan's research drew on a number of academic papers. Of those, four in particular captured the arc of emerging market optimism over the past few decades. This one by Lance Pritchett, an American development economist, covers global growth from 1870 to 1990 and looks at the role of the rich world in expanding the enormous income gap between itself and less developed economies. In 2013, this paper on the hyperglobalization of trade was published by researchers at the Peterson Institute, a think tank. It described how dramatically the global economy had changed since Mr. Pritchett's publication and argued that the rapid growth of trade and China's rise would drag up incomes across much of the emerging world. Following up on that theory, this paper by the Center for Global Development, another think tank, described the reasons behind growth across low- and middle-income countries between the late 20th century and the recent era of hyperglobalization. Danny Roderick, a Turkish economist and Harvard professor, was not convinced. He argued that the prosperity of the 2000s and 2010s may not last. Although he is just one of many vying to predict the next few decades, his paper gives a sense of urgency to the problems facing poor countries. As for the impact on human lives, Ryan believes there are few bigger questions than the future of global growth. For a readable summary of how trade has changed over the past few decades and its impact on the global economy, he recommends The Great Convergence, a book by another economist, Richard Baldwin. Read more from Ryan on his Twitter or blog. Summer Quiz The Winners Week 2 as readers from Australia, South Africa and elsewhere have pointed out, for many on the planet, this is a winter quiz. This week we randomly picked winners from the hundreds of correct entries and are crowning one per continent. In a nod to the Southern Hemisphere, we're counting Oceania as well as Asia. First, the answers. Dag Hammarskjöld was described by John F. Kennedy as the greatest statesman. Glenn Miller was portrayed by Jimmy Stewart. Ted Stevens called the internet a series of tubes. And Buddy Holly was famous for the hit Peggy Sue and more. The tragic common theme, all died in plane crashes. Kudos and celebrations for our knowledgeable winners. Adrian Lees, Cape Town, South Africa. John Lee, De John, South Korea. Kayla Moffat, London, Britain. Nikki Cooper, Auckland, New Zealand. Martin Luebke, Petawawa, Canada. Stelio Tolder, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Our battered baristas must up their game. Expect a somewhat more fiendish set of questions in week three. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Murray Bookchin, who died on this day in 2006. If we do not do the impossible, we shall be faced with the unthinkable. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download the Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. Music